0: We have a We're only 24 hours into this news cycle and blame fest over these shootings. I'm already tired of it, so I'm not going to start there. My apologies for those of you who are dying for another hour of, of titillating talk on Guns and gun violence. We'll, we'll get to it. There is news we need to talk about. This is Atlanta's Evening News, but I want to start closer to home. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, Atlanta's Evening News on 95.5 WSB, Atlanta's News and Talk. They have it written in big letters on the marker board to make sure we all see it. The phone number here, 404 872 one wsb talk I want to talk about... Scooters close to me As you're probably aware, a 15 year old uh, hit uh, in the hospital it will be okay. Comes on the heels of a mom being taken off life support. Uh, she's the latest uh, scooter fatality in the city. There have been three scooter fatalities. Now, if you don't live inside the city, and, and I don't, I, I live on the outskirts. Um, I live outside the metro Atlanta area and commute in, and many of you commute in. And then go back wherever, and you've probably seen them if you've come into the city. There are scooters everywhere, and I used to really be a fan of the innovation. I thought it was kind of neat. You go to Washington, Los Angeles, New York, uh, San Francisco, you see scooters everywhere. And what's happening, if you haven't come into the city and seen them, uh, you literally have scooters just dropped In the middle of sidewalks. I was going up the connector the other day. There was a scooter dead laying on the side of the road on the connector. Someone had to have driven the scooter onto the interstate where it's not allowed. Um, You've had now multiple fatalities. You've had pedestrians hit. So what happened is the Atlanta City Council passed a law requiring that people who ride these electric scooters ride them on the road and not the sidewalks. Well, The problem is that anybody who's ridden around Atlanta knows that the roads are not the safest place for the scooters. And it annoys the people who are driving the vehicles as much as it annoyed the pedestrians you would in some places like New York, for example, they've invested in bike lanes in a lot of areas and it, it is safer to ride the e-scooters than in Atlanta, which is a city that cannot well accommodate them. And likewise you get on the scooters and there are no helmets. There's not helmets strapped to each scooter. People aren't riding with helmets in. This is a situation like so many industries uh, have, have experienced where innovation has outpaced the ability of society to keep up with it. Now, what has happened in many of those cases? Take uh, the Internet and the newspaper business, for example. Uh, the newspaper business is collapsing because people are able to go onto the Internet and get their news. And it happened so fast and people adapted so quickly That the newspaper industry has had a very hard time keeping up. And unless you're a specialized news service like the Wall Street Journal or USA Today, for example, uh, that still maintains a a robust print subscription and also growing digital subscriptions, well, you're on hard times. I mean, you had Kevin Riley from the AJC participate in a hearing in Congress on limiting what uh, news search engines can release from newspaper websites without paying levels of fees. Essentially, the newspaper industry wants Google to pay them to be able to give people the information that's in the newspapers, uh, which is is kind of crazy if you think about it because there are many stories out there. Like, for example, I've got a story pulled up right here about the Atlanta scooter thing. And I went to Google and I put in Atlanta scooters and it pulled up an AJC story and I clicked on the AJC story to get the information. And had I not pulled up the the Google and found the link, I would have had a harder time finding it on the AJC website. The AJC website, by the way, just as an aside, really resource intensive. It's the only website I go to where it revs up the fan on my laptop. And I don't know why. Um, But in any event, you're seeing the newspaper industry uh, routinely fails to adapt and oftentimes blames technology. And the great difference in these situations with scooters and whatnot is that scooters are advancing technology against government, where Google and and Yahoo and and DuckDuckGo and the Internet... Engines of the age and new services on the internet are advancing technology against the private sector. So when the private sector cannot speed up and keep up with pace, the private sector it kind of disassembles and and you go through disruption. When the public sector cannot keep up with the pace of innovation, the public sector can pass laws and tell the private sector slow down. And now the city of Atlanta is reaching this point in e-scooters where they're considering saying, you know what. No more scooters allowed. My understanding is that the city of Atlanta authorized twelve thousand scooters in the city. Uh, only about six thousand of the total available scooters have been deployed, and the city's passing a moratorium, saying no more. We don't want any more on on the streets. And you know, you go to a, go to Washington D.C. for example. And what you find in Washington D.C. is that the, s- the sidewalks are rather wide. And they also have uh, segregated lanes uh, with certain traffic, so they tend to be able to handle the scooters better. You also go into the areas of uh, the tourist areas around the mall, and there's plenty of room for everybody to spread out and the scooters to work. Atlanta, I've always been fascinated by how the sidewalks here actually aren't that wide uh, compared to everything around them. You don't have these these really wide boulevard-style sidewalks like you do in many other places and the city's forced the scooter traffic onto the roads. The roads are already near enough. Heck, uh, for those of you who don't know, you live outside the city. You're you're up in in Roswell, Woodstock, Alpharetta, where, where have you. They're redoing Peachtree Street, and one of the things they're doing on Peachtree Street is because the, of the widening they've done on Peachtree Street now, uh, utility poles are right up against the street. So it has become very, very easy for a driver to hit a utility pole, because the utility poles are right there at the road. And so now they're having to go up Peachtree Street in Atlanta, midtown into Buckhead, and move the utility poles back away from, from the road now. And that's reduced the number of available lanes on Peachtree Street. Uh, so add scooters into that mix. You've got reduced laneage on both sides of the road. Now you got scooters fighting for traffic, helmetless riders on e-scooters fighting for traffic with cars. And it's just a disaster in the making. And now you've got the situation last night where the 15-year-old ran a, a stop sign or a, a a stop signal and was hit by an SUV. The driver's not going to be charged, of course. But speaking of, I, I forgot to do this, but I should have done this as we got in here today because I find that this is deeply relevant. It's the most wonderful time of the year. My kids go back to school tomorrow. With the kids jingle belling and everyone Yes, yes. Ever the change. kids are out of the house as of tomorrow. Some of you, your kids are already gone. It is the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, indeed. I fired that up at the house the other night. I thought my kids were going to riot. They were so mad. But yes, it's the most wonderful time of the year. School is starting back. Although I had to go to Athens this morning to, to talk about the new show we're doing. And I totally forgot school zones were in effect. Now I got behind some buses in a couple counties and man, they were slow. Um, but yeah, you know, so you've got all this and, and then you've got the situation. You got back to school traffic, uh the construction on Peace Street downtown, you've got the construction at four hundred, tying people up, getting to the city. You got the scooter situation. And what I'm finding, and it is relevant, I think, to this scooter situation. I don't know the facts about the 15-year-old last night, other than uh, eyewitnesses say he didn't pay attention to signaling, the SUV driver not going to be charged as a result. But I'm noticing the people who are riding scooters around town, in addition to not wearing helmets, and I don't blame them because you're not going to wear communal helmets, but they're they're on the scooter staring at their phone they got their earbuds in they're not they don't hear the traffic signal sounds because they're listening to their music staring at their their iphone riding their scooter It's not a safe situation. It is a situation uh, that that really discombobulates everyone and makes makes the traffic situation in Atlanta uh, much more difficult. And it is also, yet again, another situation where technology is outpacing uh, current infrastructure. And because technology is outpacing current infrastructure, but you're dealing with the public infrastructure – then the government can come in and say no, and the city of Atlanta say no. Now, you're you're also going to start dealing with the situation in, in Alpharetta and other places around. Don't, don't just think that it's downtown Atlanta, Woodstock, Alpharetta, Roswell, other places that have walkable downtown areas. You're starting to see scooters migrate into those areas. And local governments, to some degree, are ill-prepared unless they blanketly pass law saying, nope, you can't come into this place. I used to actually be very excited by the idea. Now, I never wanted to ride them myself. Um, the turning point actually came. I went out to Austin for our research gathering. So it was a years ago, year ago, exactly, was in Austin for last year's research gathering. Austin has been plagued by the scooters for a while. Austin is a, a seriously screwed up place to begin with. And, I mean, there were scooters everywhere. It's like dead dead birds. I mean, you, you would have them, and Bird as one of the brands, you would have them just laying over. On the sidewalk and people would have to step over them or move them out of the way. Uh, you find this in other cities. You see it in, in Washington, D.C. all the time. In New York, if you go up there, people just they get off the scooter. They're done with their ride. They've gone where they need to go and they just let it fall over on the sidewalk. And I, I went from being excited about the technology and innovation to thinking cities need to ban these things altogether. Uh, you, you just go on and Atlanta and ban them and say no more that they're an urban blight, uh, you you go buy your own scooter if you want to re- use your scooter, and it's your responsibility, and you got to take care of it, but these leaving them on the sidewalk for any random person to get on and ride off with, nope, get rid of them, ban them, be done with them. I realize millennials, you, you people love them, but you're not being responsible with them in most cases where you put them, how you use them, where you go with them, how you ride them, so get rid of them. Get rid of them. I I used to think that scooters were a wonderful innovation to help people get around, uh, make people who walk everywhere be a little bit more productive and a little speedier, and I got to tell you, at this point, I think they are of the devil, and just get rid of them. Just want to do a quick timeout for thanking Quip for being a longtime sponsor of this program. A lot of you, you got kids like me headed back to school, and well... Maybe they're hygiene honest to goodness I'm not sure how often our kid bathed during the summer. Our, our oldest now is just about every day but the 10 year old uh, well time to get him back into. <laughs> a good routine and quip is a great way to do it if they're having difficulties getting well their teeth brushed on a regular basis get them a quip uh, you know they, they've got a kid sized version now but even the adult version it's fantastic long time user love it my wife uses it my daughter uses it I guess I need to get the 10 year old to start using it um, it just it works it's one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association they're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals they've got thousands of 5 star reviews verified 5 star reviews no less it's just a great tooth brush it works it's so well designed it's only 25 dollars. if you go to getquip.com eric right now you get your first refill pack for free so you get your first refill pack free at getquip.com eric and what is that refill pack well every three months you get a new brush head so your quip stays up to date and fresh go to getquip.com eric right now and get this great deal Walter in Virginia Highlands, an area blighted by scooters. Welcome to the program. Like the plague. <laughs> yes, it is.
1: So how, what is the age for being able to drive a scooter?
0: So this is the interesting thing. So the 15-year-old was on, and you've got to be, according to the terms of service for the major scooter brands that are in Atlanta right now, the e-scooter brands, you got to be 18 and have driver's license, so someone had to give that? him access.
1: Now, when we go on our bikes, I never did when I was a kid. Did we wear, Do we wear helmets now?
0: Uh, nowadays, if you're Don't under a certain age, you got to. to. Have
1: a helmet on their bicycle. Yeah. Yeah, um, isn't there a law that says you can't ride on the sidewalk?
0: Uh, for the scooters, yes.
1: Yes. Do you drive your car looking at a cell phone? What happens if you get caught?
0: Yeah, you get in trouble.
1: Oh, the guy! Yeah, you know the guy that was uh, got shot because he got stopped someplace. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in one of the municipalities and he got shot because he ran from you know, a cop pulling him over for looking at his cell phone. Oh <clears throat> do we use headphones in a car when we <laughs> drive?
0: You would be amazed at the number of people I see doing that, even though you're not supposed to.
1: You're not supposed to do it. You know what you're supposed to do in life? Pay attention. Right.
0: Yeah. And and they're not. And that 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 really is the problem. And yeah, you've got scooters around. I mean, the Virginia Highlands are good lord. I mean, I, I had to dodge one a couple of weeks ago I was over there. Um, cutting through there, going to Emory and had to swear there was a scooter laying in the road, laying in the road. Uh, I guess somebody hopped off there. There was no passable sidewalk there. And then it was just dropped off. It's just so frustrating to me as it is to residents, as it is to drivers, as it is to pedestrians, Um, and you got a bunch of people who aren't paying attention on these things. And in the rules of the road, the laws apply. Very much like a a cyclist on the road is supposed to follow the law as well. You stop at the stoplight. All the cars stop, you stop too. I see plenty of cyclists look and say, hey, nobody's coming. Even the light's red. I'm going to go on through. Well, you're not supposed to. It's just it's now listen, I I don't want to spend all night on on the scooter issue, but it is it's relevant here to also note how uh, they're not adapting to uh, public rules or have a slower time adapting to technology. Technology has rushed ahead of this issue. Many places have essentially now thrown up their hands and said, you know what? So many people use them here. They're all over the place. We're just going to go along with it, even though we don't like them. But you got cities like Atlanta saying, no, 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 no. We're going to slow this down. First, you got to get it on the highway. Well, no one does. It's dangerous. I I do think that the city of Atlanta, if they're going to let these scooters stay, does need to change that law. I don't like them on the sidewalk, but let's just be honest. If you're riding up Peachtree Street in a car, do you want a scooter in front of you on the road when you're already down one lane on either side? Uh, do you want that situation? Uh, does does the scooter driver, and you can say, well, it doesn't matter. Let's deal with reality, not what we want. Reality is they're here. The city of Atlanta is not banning them. Uh, I don't think we need them on the road when it can be safer for them in certain areas of the city to, on their own judgment, decide, you know what, it's better to be on the sidewalk and then, you know, make them liable. If they hurt a, if they hurt a pedestrian, they become liable. I guess we'll have hit and run scooter drivers now, but the whole thing's absurd. When we come back, we need to talk about red flag laws. We do need to get into this subject. What are they? A lot of people talking about them today. It is 38 after the hour. I'm Eric Erikson, 39 after the hour. I've checked the radar, and and there are some showers uh, well south of the listening area, but there's really nothing around us right now. Hallelujah. Uh, I need to, I don't want to, I I really don't want to talk about the story at all. You know, if nothing else, I I think you all and I are so in tune with each other that uh, when About the time you're tired of talking about a subject, I am, and I'm struggling. I've been thinking about this all day. I am actually struggling to think of a news story out there where 24 hours into the news cycle, I was absolutely exhausted by the story. And the shootings in Dayton and El Paso and the irresponsibility of the press in how they're handling them, the double standards, all that, I'm I'm just – I'm exhausted. I could spend all day every day this week – just talking about the double standard of the press. Uh, But I would rather, instead of being an opinion talk show host, actually provide you useful news and information uh, that you can then make up your mind on. And one of those things that you're going to start hearing about are red flag laws. And what are they? How do they come into effect? Interestingly enough, I reached out to a couple of people who are experts in the matter to ask if they would come on. and, And they're all friends of mine. They said, honestly, do I have to? I'm so tired of this subject. And the media keeps getting everything wrong. Um. <laughs> amen. I'm right there with you. So let me do my best. Uh. Honestly, I'm. I've got some very good friends who I would rely on, to, and they're just they're burnout of talking about the subject. And I wasn't going to impose on them to try to come on and and them do their best to sound uh, engaging on a subject that they're already tired of talking about. Particularly as as one of them pointed out that he has uh, walked through the subject with members of the media repeatedly and, and the gun issue in general over the last 48, 72 hours. And they keep getting everything wrong. Uh, Most of the media has never fired a gun. They don't own a gun. They they don't know anything about guns. And um, I'm telling you, I'm going to go out and buy several more ARs this week, uh, just because it seems like Republicans are going wobbly on the issue. And I want to stockpile before they cave on the issue, but red flag laws. What are they? Well, Uh, Connecticut was the first state to develop a red flag law. They've been held constitutional, but their implementation in some cases is deeply problematic. A red flag law is a law where the state or various parties authorized by statute can go to court and say this person is a threat to themselves or others and we need to confiscate their guns. In a lot of places that have red flag laws, it is a very limited group of people who can do it. But as progressive states have embraced red flag laws, as you can imagine, the group of people who can do it has grown very much. In some cases, it's teachers, it is, it's family members, it's close friends, it's uh, law enforcement officers— It's people who have a relevant concern in in a couple of states. uh, That language being challenged in court is being too broad. The problem as well, so what happens is someone goes to court. They say uh, person X is a danger to themselves or others. uh, They are in in an imminent way, not a general way, but an imminent way. And we need to confiscate their guns to keep themselves and others safe for a time until they can get help, uh, less than 30 days. Judges then have a hearing based on the evidence, and they can impose a they can impose an injunction, issue a court order, and have law enforcement take away the person's guns or have the person voluntarily surrender their guns. Now, in some states, it, it varies. In some states, it is law enforcement goes and collects all the guns. In some states, the person has to hand them over. Those are the more problematic ones uh, where the person may not hand over all of their guns, uh, which then causes, courts course, to get more thoroughly involved. Now, uh, there are other issues here, though, you need to be wary of. In some states and in some of the federal legislation pending, there are several versions of a federal red flag law that's pending the person has no due process rights. This is where we get into constitutional issues. So when you're dealing with the Second Amendment right, you're actually dealing with a constitutional right the Supreme Court has determined is an individual right. It is a civil right right. To keep and bear arms. By the way, you should know that some of the protesters in Hong Kong, they're still having protests, and it looks like the Chinese army may be about to invade. Uh, Protesters are holding signs that say, we need the Second Amendment here, interestingly enough. So you got the situation where it is a constitutional right and it is a civil liberty of Americans to keep and bear arms. In some states, the way they've structured their red flag laws, and these are being contested in court right now, uh, you don't have to give notice to the party involved. In other words, if I think you are a danger to yourself or someone else, I can go to court, make my case to a court, and have the court issue an order to confiscate your guns for a period of time up to 30 days without you ever being able to contest it. You then can go to court after that period of time to see if things should continue and you get to contest it. That's a real problem under the law. I mean, think in states, for example, where, okay, so there's an an, an ancillary story here. Joaquin Castro, who is Julian Castro running for uh, president, Joaquin Castro, congressman, is his brother, has up a uh, post on social media with the names and businesses of people who have given money to Donald Trump in the San Antonio area. In other words, he is outing these people and urging boycotts against them and their businesses for donating to Donald Trump. Yeah, just, just, we're going to come to that here in a little bit, but just think about that. So, think about an angry left-wing activist who in some states where you have a broad pool of people who can get a red flag law order say, you know what, this guy's a Trump supporter. I bet he owns guns. I'm going to go in. He's lashed out at Joaquin Castro for outing him and shaming him. It looks like he's going to be violent. I'm going to go to court and get a red flag order against him. And I'm going to get it based on his lashing out at Joaquin Castro for causing him harassment. And I'm going to leave that out. And I'm not going to give him a say under the law, under the red flag law order. He's going to have to wait 30 days. But in the meantime, his guns are going to be confiscated. Now, that is a that is a wild scenario. But in some states, not Texas, thankfully, but in some states that could happen. Where you have left-wing activists who are within the pool of people who can get a red flag injunction or order. And they use your social media post to say this person's unwell. We need to take their guns away from them. I can totally see talk radio show hosts like myself being targeted. Um, so you've got to narrowly tailor it. I am not. And in fact, you'll note the the National Rifle Association is not opposed to red flag laws, but I am opposed to, and the NRA has been opposed to red flag laws that deny the person who owns the gun due process. After all, it is a civil right. You wouldn't take someone's right to vote away by injunction, nor would you take their right of speech away by injunction. Why can you take their second amendment right away by injunction? without giving them a due process hearing. I am opposed to that. I am also opposed to red flag laws that so dramatically expand the pool of people by whom can get one. Uh, It should be family, possibly law enforcement in some criteria, and possibly immediate educators in some criteria. Uh, But beyond that, no, you're playing with fire. And even with educators, you're playing with fire, Uh, particularly when you get to the college level and you've got progressive activists who may discover that one of their students is a gun activist and just goes out of their way to harass them. You're you're actually we are dealing in a society with members of Congress who post the names and businesses of those who give money to political rivals in order to encourage harassment. It is not a step far removed to say that they then, if you expand the pool of people who get a red flag order, may then turn to harassing people through that as a form of punishment for uh, political contributions. It's a dangerous game we're playing. 56 past the hour, it is Eric Erickson, Teresa, and Sandy Springs. Welcome. How are you?
1: Hello. How are you? Good. I have a comment okay. um, about, uh, I have, I'm have i a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, and I had a patient who came to me from Cook County, uh, Chicago, and he had an order that he could not have a, a, a firearm. Mm-hmm. And so now he's in Georgia, and we we and his, myself and his family, just had to uh, issue a 1013 order for pickup of him within the last two weeks because he was threatening. Um, now, can you again, explain to people what a 1013 gun. order is? A 1013 order is a 72-hour hold order where you can be picked up by the sheriff's department. And his family actually went to the probate judge uh, on an affidavit with two witnesses and got this order to have him picked up by the sheriff's department hmm. and so they have picked this individual up now you have to understand he's got paranoid schizophrenia and so um anyway that's an interesting uh take on uh what you're talking about the red
0: red flag um, loss.
1: yeah so um i'm able as a mental health practitioner to get that done mm-hmm. on someone but of course i would use it legitimately right and i do have concerns about this individual and um he has been picked up and uh supposedly i hope he's at georgia regional but my problem is that i'm afraid that in georgia he may be actually able to buy a firearm at some point well
0: he Except if there's an existing court order. Now, and see, I'm, I'm glad it's you raised Cook that County issue. It's, yeah. it's
1: from Cook County. Well, though.
0: yes, but that's supposed to go into a federal <laughs> file. And, and uh, Teresa, I, I would love to keep with you. There's there's something going on with your phone, though. It's causing some weird noise over over radio. But thank you for that. The, 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 in, in Cook County, it goes into a federal system, and when you do the background check— It flags it as this person um, has an order that prevents them from buying a firearm. But remember, there have been instances in this country where madmen were able to buy guns because the paperwork was never processed by the federal government. Uh, The the Parkland shooter, for example, based on all the previous filings, should not have been able to buy the gun, uh, but the information was not actually put into the system. Um, So this, thankfully, should be okay, though. But now... What about the her political harassment? We need to talk about that angle when we come back. Three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Lift off. We have a lift off. Welcome back. You're going to like this story. You're going to like this. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Atlanta's evening news on WSB. The phone number 404 872 750 WSB talk. You know, I said yesterday with the whole AJC thing that, you know, we're all in the family. Several years ago, I referred to him like Borch used to do us the urinal constipation, and they called and complained, and 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 Dad called and said, "Don't do that anymore." We're all in the same family. We're we're trying to we're trying to collaborate together. In fact, I was in a meeting today where everybody's talking about collaboration and and all of that stuff. I just so I I just find this very funny. Um, so there's a story in the AJC about Brian Kemp, and, and let me just read you this paragraph. Kemp hinted at what was to come last week when he said in a speech that he wanted to start reeling things back in the $27.5 billion budget. I thought, huh, did he give two speeches last week? No, no, they, 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 they linked to a prior story from Friday where Brian Kemp made those headlines at my conference on stage with me, in a conversation with me at the Resurgent Gathering, all of the news that came out. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I can help all the local media uh, generate their stories and headlines. Yes, this is what I want to talk about. Brian Kemp. I was going to talk about it anyway, but uh, it's now a big story in the AJC this afternoon, where they work very hard to leave my name out of it. Uh, that Brian Kemp, uh, the governor of Georgia, is urging state agencies to begin reviews of their budgeting to begin to cut spending within their budgets. Um, The governor, as they say, hinted last week at the resurgent gathering that he wanted to begin to rein in the budget. Uh, And he's making it more official today. The governor is asking agencies To find efficiencies in their organizations and submit budget reduction proposals for fiscal year 2020, which ends June 30th of 4% and fiscal year 2021 of 6%. State agencies were told to make plans to begin implementing the 4% cut for the fiscal year by October 1st. Now, here's the actual statement from the governor. I want to read this to you. To secure an even brighter future for our state, we must continue to budget conservatively, spend wisely, and put Georgia taxpayers first. That's why I have instructed all state government offices to reduce expenditures and streamline operations through proactive leadership. By reducing waste and ending duplication in government, we can keep Georgia the best place to live, work, and raise a family. What is going on? We're in good times. The economy is going well. What is going on? Well, I asked the governor this on Friday at the resurgent gathering, and that's where this topic comes from. And the governor's statement, he hinted something would be coming. Uh, We we, we talked about it. Our economy is beginning to slow down. And when you look at the tariffs that China has imposed, the the response tariffs, and also their prohibition on agricultural sales from the United States— Georgia farmers are going to see reductions in sales. Uh, Georgia businesses are going to see reductions in sales to China, exports to China. Uh, Everything is becoming now complicated with the Chinese, but that's having a ripple effect throughout the entire global economy. So um, here's, here's where we go with this. The governor has signed legislation to increase pay raises to teachers. The governor does not want to have the legislature raise taxes, nor does he want to tap into Rating Day funds to keep the budget of the state balanced. Governor Deal, before he left office, allowed state agencies to increase their spending. Governor Kemp wants them to rein back in some of that spending in order to find the money one, to make good on his promise to teachers, and two, understanding that the economy is beginning to slow down. And as the economy begins to slow down, That may not affect income taxes unless there are layoffs. It would impact income taxes, but it will impact sales tax revenue. Remember, if you go back to my conversations with all the gubernatorial candidates, Stacey Abrams actually, uh, even better than Casey Cagle, really, although they both were trying to articulate this point. I think Abrams did a little bit better job here. Uh, They were pushing back on Hunter Hill. Hunter Hill running for governor. His proposal was to uh, get rid of the income tax in the state and have a sales tax in the state. And he, Tennessee does this, Florida does this, uh, Texas does this, several other states. And Stacey Abrams and, and Casey Hegel were both opposed to it. And, and to Abrams' point, that in those states, Tennessee, Florida, Texas, and in the others, I forget the other two, there are five of them. Uh, when the economy slows down in those states, they begin to have budget problems because typically in an economic slowdown, the income tax is not as affected as the sales tax. And if you uh, have no income tax in your state and all sales tax, your budget revenue is is even um, hurt more. Now, interestingly enough, at the research gathering, uh, Governor Bill Lee from Tennessee was there and he was pointing out that Tennessee has now for the second year in a row been listed by... Uh, so some accounting group as the best fiscally managed state in the nation uh, that the budget reserves are strong the revenue is strong and they've got enough uh, padding for a budget slowdown or recession to make it through so i mean you can have a state sales tax and no income tax and budget responsibly enough to get yourself through hard times but Georgia is a combination sales tax income tax state And if there are layoffs in an economic slowdown, well, that's going to be a problem for the bottom line for the state. And sales tax, absolutely, there will be a, a problem, and it looks like on the horizon that there is a slowdown coming. The Federal Reserve has reduced interest rates for the first time in a number of years. They're doing so not because the economy is going gangbusters, as some of the Trump supporters have claimed, but because they believe there's an economic slowdown on the horizon, and they're trying to stave off that slowdown by cutting interest rates to make it easier for businesses to have access to cheap capital to keep their businesses going. You look at the situation in China, China is having an economic slowdown. China has been manipulating its currency and manipulating its budget figures to make it look like the country is doing better economically than it is. Every Western economist who has examined the data in China is pretty sure China has already gone into recession. You're now having the the political instability in Hong Kong. That's going to make it even worse in China. You're having uh, the growth in jobs in this country and, and economic growth in this country did not come in this past month as advertised. It came in slower. So there are all these warning signs on the horizon, and, and Governor Kemp is being super responsible here. I mean, he he and I have had these conversations since he was on the campaign trail that the long-term prognosis for this country look like we may be headed towards an end to the economic recovery of what little economic recovery there has been from 2008. This is the longest period of economic growth we've had as a nation. If you believe the Obama data that the economy really did start growing again in the fall of 2019, we've had 10 years of economic growth, albeit slow. But we've had steady growth in the economy of a couple percentage points. And now it's looking like the economy is going to start slowing down. Now, the question is, because it's only just recently picked up speed in its growth, Will the slowdown be slow? Will the slowdown be be small? We don't know. And the governor is looking at all these outside variables. By the way, uh, other states are having these conversations right now, too. Uh, Brian is being a little—Governor Kemp has been a little more forthright publicly with what he wants to do and why he's concerned. But other states are having these conversations as well. The one place that's not having these conversations, very interesting, Washington, D.C., Washington is not looking at the economic news out there thinking, hmm, the economy may be slowing down. We may need to do something. Everyone else is. Thankfully, we got a very responsible governor who understands that the economy can make or break a governor's popularity. He sees the long-term trends and the economy is saying something's coming, something's coming, and he's trying to prepare for it. And you know what? That's his job. He's being responsible. Good for him. Just want to do a quick timeout for thanking Quip for being a longtime sponsor of this program. A lot of you, you got kids like me headed back to school, and well, maybe they're hij- I Honest to goodness, I'm not sure how often our kid bathe during the summer. Our, our oldest now is just about every day, but the 10-year-old, uh, well, time to get them back into a good routine, and Quip is a great way to do it. If they're having difficulties getting, well, their teeth brushed on a regular basis, get them a Quip. Uh, you know, they, they've got a kid-sized version now, but even the adult version, it's fantastic. Long-time user, love it. My wife uses it, my daughter uses it, I guess I need to get the 10-year-old to start using it. Um, it just, it works. It's one of the first electric toothbrushes accepted by the American Dental Association. They're backed by over 25,000 dental professionals. They've got thousands of five-star reviews, verified five-star reviews, no less. It's just a great tooth brush it works it's so well designed it's only $25 if you go to getquip.com slash eric right now you get your first refill pack for free so you get your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash eric and what is that refill pack well every three months you get a new brush head so your quip stays up to date and fresh go to getquip.com slash eric right now and get this great deal Joaquin Castro, I mentioned this earlier, Joaquin Castro, he is the brother of Julian Castro. Joaquin Castro, also a member of Congress, and he has a tweet up. He is pushing on social media. Uh, Let me read you the tweet. Uh, It it includes an advertisement, a a picture of an advertisement he put out, who's funding Trump in 2019. These 44 San Antonio donors contributed the most allowed by federal law. And his tweet is sad to see so many San Antonians as 2019 maximum donors to Donald Trump. The owner of Bill Miller Barbecue, owner of the historic Pearl Realtor Phyllis Browning, etc. Their contributions are fueling a campaign of hate that labels Hispanic immigrants as invaders. To be clear, this is a member of Congress targeting donors to someone he opposes for harassment or at least boycotting uh, punishment for supporting someone he disagrees with. Can you imagine the media reaction? If Donald Trump, president of the United States targeted a small businessman for harassment or punishment and said, sad to see this person who owns this business giving money to Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, whoever. Can you imagine what the media reaction would be to that? This is a member of Congress doing this. The other night, a woman showed up with a video at Mitch McConnell's house and started yelling, uh, stab him in the heart, please, and live-streamed it. You have Julian Castro posting the names and employers of Trump supporters online. Remember, this, this actually isn't hypothetical. During the Proposition 8 situation in California, that was the uh, constitutional amendment to, um, to put traditional marriage in the Constitution of California. You had Brandon Ike chased out of the Mozilla Foundation because he donated to it, but more particularly, you had a waitress in a restaurant saw protesters come into that restaurant and demand that she be fired because she had given money to the effort. This is not a hypothetical, uh, left-wing activist doing this. Um, this is not a good place where we are as a country. And the media is fixated on Donald Trump's behavior. In fact, they had a press conference with a Dayton mayor today over the shooting in Dayton, Ohio, and within a half-second of the mayor beginning to speak, reporters started yelling, a half-second literally, reporters started yelling questions about the president. They would never do that with something like this. Where is the media on this? I got to share the story with y'all. Uh, here's your feel-good story of the day. They're, they're really, this is not a political story, thank goodness. I'm I'm getting burnt out on politics. I assume that many of you are as well. It's just a good story. The The Bucks coach, uh, Bruce, what is his last name, Arians, uh, said he told his staff he would fire them if they missed their kids' events because they don't get those years back. That's uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's great. Um, so yeah, let me just read you part of this. This is from Business Insider. Being a coach in the NFL often means working long hours from early mornings to late nights. You study, you prepare. Uh, the new Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach, Bruce Arians, however, makes an exception for his staff. Their children's events. In fact, he enforces going to kids' events. Uh, he told NBC's Peter King that he told his staff he would fire them for missing their kids' events. Because he missed too many of his kids' events. That's that is leadership. Uh, good for him. You know, there actually is. I saw a study circulated earlier today that nine of ten mass shooters over the last ten years. Do you know what they have in common? No father. Dads matter. Um, look, I, I I know how some of you reacted, if I dare make theological points, um, the audacity of it. But, it, you know, it, it, I, I've always wanted to preach in church on Father's Day. I occasionally get asked now to, to preach, and I, I really do like preaching more than I like giving political talks. I've always wanted to preach on Father's Day uh, because there's this great passage in Genesis 5 headed into Genesis 6 about Noah— that his sons were given passage on the ark not because of a single thing they had ever done, but because their dad, Noah, found favor with God. Dads matter, and and I don't know that society values them enough. In fact, I I think we're, we're in a dangerous point of society in large part because so many uh progressives in this country and, and around the world, in Western elites, uh, one, they don't value having kids, but also I think they think that moms and dads are interchangeable, uh, that that two moms, two dads are the same as having a mom and a dad, and, and, and it's not. Um, but listen, if you believe in evolutionary biology and science, it, it's not. Uh, If you believe in in traditional Western morality, it's not. And, and in fact, I think uh, many of the problems we see in society right now can be directly traced to the collapse of the two-parent heterosexual nuclear household. And I mean that seriously. I I genuinely do believe that, Uh, that as having a mom and a dad in a household have collapsed. You know, you don't even have to ask, uh, believe me, believe Joe Biden. Joe Biden has said this before. That having a mother and a father matters, and and if we can find incentive for one parent, it doesn't have to be the mom, but one parent, to stay home with kids and help raise kids and and let the other parent work, if we can make life easier for them, for them to be able to do it, then, then let's do what we can to stabilize families. We do not prioritize enough in this country families, and there is more and more data out there showing that fatherless households are... A bad thing. And too frequently, society has made it easy for there to be fatherless households. And particularly if you have boys in your house, boys need a father figure. They do. They need a good moral father figure. And unfortunately, there are too many bad people out there who abuse those relationships in, in single-parent households. And it's just, it's sad uh, and the problem as well is, as you hear this, there are people listening to this program right now, I can guarantee you, who are livid thinking I'm insulting single moms. And, and I'm not. And, and the fact that people think I am is people willfully wanting to miss the point. Dads matter. And two parents in a household uh, gives you stability. In fact, I, I can give you proof of this. I can give you proof of this. California is requiring now ethnic studies in high school. And one of the things that teachers are encouraged to do in California public schools now is to make kids do what they call a privilege walk. Have you all heard about this? So all of the kids have to stand together at a starting point. And then the teachers are required to do things like if your parent has ever told you they love you, take a step forward. If they've never told you, take a step backwards. If you regularly go to church, take a step forward. If you never go to church, take a step backwards. If both of your parents are living in your home, take a step forward. If only one parent is in the house, take a step backwards. If both of the parents in the house are male and female take a step forward. Those of you who have a two-parent nuclear household, if your parents are of the same sex, take a step backwards. And the kids progress down the hall, and, and the kid who winds up the furthest is the most privileged in the class. Therefore, he is the one who should not be paid attention to because he has all of the privileges of society. I am not kidding. They're actually implementing this. Even the Los Angeles Times editorial board is railing against this curriculum that is infused with Marxist talking points and political correctness uh, that makes no sense. They've got a 22-page glossary on just the terminology that you're using, like herstry. Instead of history now, they're talking about herstory, but they're not writing it with an E because that conveys gender. They're writing it H-X-S-T-O-R-Y, herstory is how it's pronounced, H-X-R-S-T-O-R-Y, herstory. But it's got an X, not an E. Good luck pronouncing that trying to twist the language and all. But, I mean, this is, think about that, that the California public schools are telling kids that if you have both parents in the house, you're privileged. And as a result of that privileged, your opinion should be valued less than those who don't have as much privilege as you. It's not a privilege to be raised in a two-parent heterosexual nuclear household. It's the way things are meant to be. Life is not fair. Life will never be fair. And you are not a victim if your family has collapsed. You are not privileged if you have a 2 parent nuclear household. That's the way it's meant to be. There's no privilege in that. But the fact that so many kids don't now, it's treated as a privileged thing. It's treated as a thing that, that gives you some level of moral authority you shouldn't have. And we don't have a government, we don't have a society that is, is interested in trying to repair the family. And in fact, frankly, the more government has tried to do things for the family, the worse it's made the family. Instead of having the family be rugged individualists taking care of themselves, the government has made it very easy for people to abdicate responsibility to Uncle Sam. I mean, you, you got more and more of society living off Uncle Sam's man boob than you do actually living off of, of themselves as a family taking care of each other. And it's, it's a sad thing. Family matters, and we see it with these mass shooting instances that the overwhelming majority of them, one of the great common threads they have, significant—I shouldn't say great. I don't want people to misunderstand me or, or take it out of context. One of the significant commonalities is the fatherlessness of— of so many of these people, and that's a real tragedy there. Uh, The New Republic just came out and said, Fox News need to be shut down to change gun laws. I think I'm going to buy a gun tonight, just because, on principle.